The Weekly Harvest, an in-depth look at the Brandon Weekings and the WHL. Washman trying to come up with it for Allison. Here's Allison right in front. He scores! Brandon Junior Hockey fans, you've waited two decades for this. In the league's 50th anniversary, your Wheat Kings are the champions. And we are live. Welcome to the Weekly Harvest Podcast. Uh, we are live streaming right now on the Q Country YouTube page. If you are uh, one of the one of the few right now to start, hopefully uh, uh, some more as we go on. We appreciate it. If you're listening in the traditional way, downloading it to afterwards, of course, appreciate that as well. My name is Chris Falico, Director of Game Day Operations and Community Relations with the Brandon Weekings. He's Brandon Crow, the voice of the Brandon Weekings, uh, broadcasting live from 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 his home, uh, just just outside Verdon. Crow, how are you, bud? Great. Uh, the weather's really turned. It's been a it's been a nice couple of days, and uh, it's really starting to feel like summer. Uh, had the windows open, um, you know, getting out in the sun. It, it's it's been a nice change. Uh, this whole monotony of life as it is right now. It's nice to be able to get outside and kind of forget about some of the craziness that is the the world and health and everything else that comes along with it. So coming up tonight, we have ourselves a, a very special show because we have both a pre-taped guest and a live guest coming up on the show tonight. I have never met our our tape guest before. I know that you've had the 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 the, the, the pleasure. I can't believe the amount of stories that we filled in the, in, the, in the time that we had. We really could have kept talking to Pete for a long time. Our first guest tonight coming up in a little bit is going to be Pete Weber, voice of the Nashville Predators. What a guy, Pete. The, the stories. So let me tell you. So uh, my wife went to school with uh, Brooks Bratton is his name. He's the director of social media for the Nashville Predators. So uh, they've stayed in touch over the years. He's, you know, he's been out to our farm, uh, you know, visited quite a bit. And every time Nashville comes to Winnipeg to play the Jets, if the Weekings aren't playing, we try to go in the night before and visit with Brooks and, and spend some time and then go to the, ne- the game the next day or whatever the case may be. So the last time we were in there, I don't even remember, I think it was back in January and they stay at the Delta downtown and we went out for supper with uh, Brooks and uh, Jacob Hartsfield who's the TV producer producer for Nashville as well who also went to school that white jersey behind me that's where my wife went to school in Pittsburgh anyway they all went to school there uh, they both work for Nashville and while we were sitting at the Elephant Castle having dinner uh, in came Hal Gill, Chris Mason um, and Pete Weber all part of the broadcast crew for Nashville and basically we sat and chatted for I, I want to say almost two hours. Uh, and when I mentioned that I was, you know, working for the Wheat Kings, he instantly said, Ron Hextall was the first thing he said. And then he went into some story about how Ron back playing for the Hershey Bears, similar to what he did with us uh, in our chat with him earlier today. So uh, had it not been 10 or 11 o'clock at night at a bar in downtown Winnipeg, I probably could have sat with Pete for hours. But he, he when he heard about the podcast, he said, yep, I'd love to come on. Let's make it work. We can talk uh, some hockey and some Jordan Tutu stories and, uh, it was great to have him on. So uh, really, fans are going to love it. Um, they're probably going to be annoyed that it wasn't as long as it could have been. Um, but uh, great guy, full of energy. And if you ever get a chance, if you're just you know on the NHL Game Center or whatever and can listen to him call a game, there is nothing better. He's one of the absolute best and a real legend, especially in Nashville. 
And you're going to learn why, too, just because of he was really a student of broadcasting getting into it. Uh, and our second guest right after that going to be joining us live on the podcast. Really excited to have this guy coming on, especially following the WHL Bantam draft just last week. General Manager Darren Ritchie. This is going to be, Crow, the third time that we've had Rich on the podcast already. Um, and every time we keep saying that, we've got to get back into the stories, and we still haven't. we got to have another one with that. But today, we really got to talk about what happened at the draft. Excited for that. Yeah, a bunch of great prospects come into the organization, um, you know, starting with the first round, 13th overall pick. Uh, just the third time uh, since the draft became a thing back in the early 90s that Brandon's picked 13th overall. Tim Conserata was the latest pick. Uh, they go uh, not far away uh, into Weyburn for their first pick. We'll get Darren's thoughts on uh, the day as a whole. It was a little different than in the past. Normally, all the hockey guys meet to, at a hotel uh, ballroom in Red Deer and kind of go through the draft that way. This year was all done similar to the way you and I are doing this podcast. And it caused some challenges, a little bit difficult to, at times to keep the lines of discussion open between between the scouts and the GM and that sort of thing. But uh, we'll get his thoughts on that a little later on tonight as well. And right from day one, you and I have joked that he's getting better at this. He, he's getting better with the technology and wanting to do these interviews. So uh, if we can keep him uh, coming back, uh, that's certainly a good sign. Yeah, love love having him on. So that's coming up right now, though. we got to get right into it. Uh, here it is from earlier today. We will come back live shortly. This is our uh, interview with Pete Weber, voice of the Nashville Predators. Right into it. What have you been doing to kill time here in the last couple of months uh, without hockey? You know, the strange thing is that that phrase, for the most part, does not apply to me. I have not been killing time. It has been filling up every day. Uh, I've probably appeared... This has got to be since we came home on March 12th, at least my 17th, 18th podcast appearance. So uh, uh, that is is one thing to be sure. And then I've arranged some others for my longtime partner here, Terry Crisp. So uh, Terry was just on the 31 Thoughts uh, podcast last week, for example. Well, you were on the Everett Silvertips podcast, I believe, uh, just a couple of weeks ago with Mike Benton. So second Western League appearance here in the last couple of weeks. Mike, one of my, shall we say, one of my mentees. Uh, he, I first became associated with him when he would do stats for us on the West Coast for the NHL games. Well, your career has spanned from coast to coast, realistically. Buffalo, L.A., Seattle, all over. What kind of let's, – let's get into it first. How did you get into it? Did you get lucky? Was it a big break? Did you know somebody? How did it all start way back in the day? Well, first you have to be drawn to it, and I think I was lucky that way. There was a, a great Zenith radio that my brother was off to college. He's 10 years older than I am. Left for my nightstand and I began to go across the radio dial at night because of that era in the 60s all the sports seemed to be carried on 50,000 watt clear channel AM stations. So I go across at night. I go to WBAP in Dallas and listening to the Dallas Fort Worth Spurs minor league baseball team. Then move up the Mississippi River Valley to St. Louis. I stayed on KMOX quite a bit because Harry Carey and Jack Buck were really the guys influenced me the most. But then I go to CCO uh, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, TMJ Milwaukee, but to listen to the old Milwaukee Braves at Earl Gillespie. And in Chicago, well, my favorite hockey announcer was there because St. Louis didn't have the NHL club yet, and it was Lloyd Pettit doing the Blackhawks. Uh, And then as it turns out, we come into the league in 1998. Our farm club is the Milwaukee 
Admirals owned by Lloyd Pettit, Lloyd and Jane Pettit. And so in training camps, I got to shoot the bull with them quite a bit. Then I'd go across uh, Lake Michigan to uh, to to a WJR and catch the Tigers on uh, JR Radio with uh, a real poet, Ernie Harwell. So I was drawn to it. And then my senior year of high school, I was playing uh, football, but I pinched a nerve in my neck and wasn't going to be able to play that year. So my parents wanted to make sure I stayed active. <laughs> so I took a job with a local newspaper in Galesburg, Illinois, taking in the calls on the prep sports nights. And then ultimately they sent me out to cover a game. And it was Costa High School at Deer Creek, Mackinac, near Peoria. And the morning broadcast crew for one station doing the game, well, they needed coffee to keep going <laughs> at night. And it had been a long week here. It was Friday night. and They were going again still 8.30, 9.30 at night. So the coffee, you know, takes its toll, and he had to find the outhouse. So he handed me the microphone and said, here, you take over for a while. I'll be right back. And I liked it. And so that was senior year in high school. So that really helped convince me to go to the campus radio station when I went to Notre Dame. Wow. And now, Pete, you have covered every major sport, whether it be basketball, uh, football. I know you've done baseball, of course, hockey. Along the way, though, I'm sure there's some other oddities that have been thrown in there. In the line of fire, what are some of the weirder times that you've been asked to to, to, to come in and do some kind of play-by-play or some kind of a call? You know, I feel very fortunate. I was never asked, even though I came from an area where high school coverages was uh, all-inclusive, I never was asked to do track and field. I can't imagine doing that. Uh, nor was I asked to do what one of my friends was for ABC Radio Sports. When we were in Sarajevo, he and Carol Heiss Jenkins did radio play-by-play of the figure skating competition. <laughs> Try to conjure that up. And then my friend who's been voice of the Rochester American since 1986, Don Stevens, when he was in San Diego, he was the voice of World Team Tennis San Diego Friars. And he had a match one night in Seattle where there were I don't know if it was a storm or something. There weren't many people there. And Betty Stova was preparing for her service. And finally, she appealed to the linesman umpire on the microphone. Could you please ask the San Diego announcer not to speak during my service? (laughs) I mean, and that was the story that came to me when I called Don. I said, hey, I see you're going to be doing a game with no fans in Cleveland on Sunday. Ultimately, that was called off, as, as we all know. But he goes, yeah. And all I can think of is Betty Stova and her service. And I was already talking like a guy at the 18th Green at Augusta. <laughs> so you were in Seattle for a little bit, did some supersonic stuff yeah. uh, back in the day. So with the NHL going back to Seattle uh, and the renovations to the key arena, do you think that that's a, a good sports market for hockey and basketball to get back into? And do you ever see the NBA going back to Seattle now that the NHL has kind of paved the way? With a good new building there, I can't see them not doing that ultimately. And we we all look at candidates to go there, right? And it's amazing how many of my friends of the NBA will keep mentioning to me, uh, I think Sacramento's going to end up uh, going up there or something along those lines. Seattle, I think, is going to be absolutely fantastic. I think it's been overlooked too long. The uh, Western Hockey League fans, and you guys probably every now and then run into Tommy McVie out, oh, on, a yep. scout, out on a scouting mission. Ask him about Seattle, and then you'll get another good long answer when he asks 
ask you about his buddy, the former hero of Seattle Totems fans, Kyle Fielder, the league's all-time leading scorer, because he's done much to support him. They they never lost the Supersonics because of a lack of fans or lack of support. No. That was not why they lost their teams. So exactly. They would, they would do very well to bring that franchise back, for sure. Yeah, it probably just won't be under the ownership of Starbucks. That that's, already didn't work very well. That's, that, that's probably exactly it. It should uh, be Pete's Coffee. <laughs> uh, Pete, now there is a, of course, lot of CHL, a lot of WHL connections uh, in the NHL, but one in particular between this fan base and the Predators fan base that I know we want to spend some time on, fan favorite, number 22, Jordan Tutu. What was it like when when Tooth first entered the market? Was there, because Nashville, not traditional hockey, but he's not a traditional hockey player either. So was there that 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 hype around when he was first coming in? Was there a buzz or was it something that kind of gained momentum as he played? Because of the type of player he quickly demonstrated he was, they embraced him almost instantaneously. Now, he couldn't do all the marketing stuff when he first got here because Greg Johnson was the captain, and he wore uniform number 2-2. So he became 2-2 inverted. He became number 55 when he debuted here. And I was telling you a story previously what it was like when a cable operator from Churchill, Manitoba, called me and wanted to get our satellite coordinates before our opening game with Jordan in the lineup because he felt he'd get a bunch of cancellations. He'll probably see a bunch of people with three meter dishes in their yards <laughs> if they didn't get have, you know, bring Jordan Tutu's first NHL game to all of them. To the best of my knowledge, he did. He may have gained subscribers. I hope that was the case. Do you remember, like, obviously he was uh, you know, a kind of a, a hidden gem at the National League level, but everyone loved him here in Manitoba. When you first saw him and the team drafted him, did you have to look on an atlas for where Rankin Inlet is, or did you have any, you're a well-traveled guy, did you have any clue where he was from? I knew it was way up there, and when Jordan's dad, Barney, told me he was about 1,200 miles north-northwest of Winnipeg, we had an idea that indeed it was, way up there. And uh, Jordan was, I, mean, I was with him when he did, he came in for his first rookie orientation camp, and I had to go with him when he had his meeting with the team nutritionist. I had to be able to sit next to Jordan and watch the look on her face when she asked him the question, what do you ordinarily eat? Well, beluga whale, Arctic char, and uh, and and so on. And it was uh, the look on her face was absolutely priceless. <laughs> Why I didn't have the digital camera function up on my phone, I don't know. But uh, that was something I will never forget. Maybe because they didn't have it back then. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had that on the cameras that we had here. Yeah, we they weren't very high resolution. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, I mean so they the, might have been one megabyte. You guys honored him. The Predators, as an organization, honored him. Was it? Last year, maybe the year prior, I don't I believe remember. it was last season. And the, the ovation he got now, he obviously announced his retirement in Brandon at a game uh, as well and, and got an unbelievable ovation. Probably the biggest one I've seen since being in Brandon. Um, do the fans still have that love for Jordan because of his story? Not only, you know, the way he played and the rough and tumble uh, style he had, but of course, the, the demons that he battled to overcome it and everything that went along with his story. Oh, yeah. Quite a bit about that. But I'll tell you, to give you an idea 
idea of how much he's appreciated. When he was active here as a player, the Predators Foundation found a way to make some more money by selling tutu whistles that sounded like trains coming out on the track. And the unfortunate Jordan, because of those, could never catch any player on the ice unawares because once he leaped over the boards onto the ice, the fans would toot those things. (laughs) So there was a a very plain warning that the train was coming down the track and get the heck out of the way. But the people had saved them. And uh, during part of that ovation, at least in the upper reaches of Bridgestone Arena, I could hear a few of those being sounded that night. Is it uh, is it surprised you at how Nashville has gone from a relative unknown in the hockey world to now this amazing party place that people, you know, Winnipeg fans, especially Jet fans, they love going to Nashville to watch games and be tourists. Has that progression really surprised you or did you know that that was possible when you first started there? I thought there was a chance because on the very first faceoff on uh, what, October uh, 10th, 1998, first game against the Florida Panthers. Panthers, and that was the first game in this building here. The entire preseason was played on the road. So, excuse me, I'm going to pick up a phone and hang it up. Okay, that takes care of that. We appreciate uh, that, Pete. That's yeah. commitment to our little podcast. Yes, yes that indeed was, it is. is because I rarely it. use that landline. Uh, but when they started the game, there was a, a standing ovation for the club which had never played a game in that building. And then like a week later, I'm downstairs after a game where the fans would wait for autographs. And then I knew the melding of the Southern culture and the hockey culture and the international aspects of the game had come together because I heard this. Hey, Sergey, Sergey, how about an autograph? <laughs> or Sergey Krivokrasov. So that was, uh, that gave me an indication of what was to come. So then it had to go from being an expansion club with 26 players nobody else wanted to building a club that could win. And in the sixth season, finally, there were the playoffs. And everybody said, the first home playoff game, by the way, here in the Bible Bill, was on an Easter Sunday afternoon. Oh, boy. Maybe the loudest I have ever heard that building. Easter Sunday afternoon in the Bible Belt. So uh, we had the indications, and indeed it has flourished. Well, I got a couple of questions sent to me on Twitter. One, of course, is from our mutual connection and a good friend of the Predators broadcast show, Brooks Bratton, who's the social media guy for the Preds. He wanted me to ask you about the uh, heated toilets in Montreal. Uh, There must be a story behind that. Uh, Matter of fact, (laughs) if I could move my camera here, I've got one about to be installed in my house. That was was gifted to me by Hal Gill uh, back in January. My brother-in-law is going to install that in a few weeks. Number one, it's 2.30 in the morning. You have just left my old haunts in Buffalo, New York to get into the hotel in Montreal. It is like January or February, and this is four years ago. And all of a sudden, the cell phones begin to light up. Everybody, after that trip, needs to go rest. And in the process of resting, let's just say their their bottoms got warmed. <laughs> Heated toilet seats in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Montreal become, and, and that's kind of ironic, is it not, that our last game before this pause was hit was in Montreal. We found out that we were getting paused while we were in Toronto. But uh, that, I think, that will help with literacy rates greatly because everybody just wants to go in there, sit and read. <laughs> Don't need any more time in there with smartphones. That's oh, right. Yeah. I love That's it. Right. And some of them even have USB charging ports. 
<laughs> no way. Get yes, out sir. Of here. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. So, so, so go Peter, ahead. I, so uh, you've been the the voice of the Predators from game one through now. You talked about the loudest game was that first playoff game. Is there another game that sticks out in your mind of... I mean, I, I know that there's some games for me that I just think of them and I still get goosebumps because I think of the memories. Is there any other games that give you that instant goosebump feeling? Several. And one would be, and it's it usually they come against Detroit and or in the playoffs. When we started, Detroit was the measuring stick for everybody. I mean, they had a power play by itself. Those five guys were more than the Predators' payroll at that point in time. So just consider those those the situations. So there was a night where they beat the Red Wings here 8 nothing. I called it the night of the harmonic convergence. Steve Eiserman was so angry, he slammed the penalty box door and shattered the glass. And then he got tossed out of the game. Uh, but then... There was the playoff game here in 2016. Triple overtime ends 105 in the morning. Nobody had left. It was a weeknight. So I told the kids on the air that if you need an excuse for the next day, just email me and I will send something <laughs> to your principal or your teachers. Uh, but nobody left. And Mike Fisher scored the goal at like 106 in the morning to uh, force a game five in the series uh, with San Jose in 2016. And, uh, that, that was also one where Brent Peterson, a longtime Western leaguer as a player and a coach, was working with me on radio. Terry Crisp was not on TV that night because we were too far along for local television to have hold. But Terry was up there and he squeezed Brent's ribcage so hard after Mike uh, scored that goal that you could just hear his, ah! <laughs> all the oxygen leaving Brent Peterson's body on the air. So uh, it wasn't that Brent lost control. Well, I guess he did lose control because of Crispy, but uh, that was that was part of all of that, to be certain. So, yeah, there are a number of games like that, but it is. And the other was just wrapping up the sweep against the playoff demon that was Chicago. Predators uh, had previously three playoff series losses to them, including one where they likely should have won. And had they won that one, the Blackhawks don't win their first cup. It was in 2010, and they had a chance to take come home with a three games to two lead but coughed a puck up into a breakaway for Patrick Kane to tie it and then Marion Hosa who probably should have been thrown out of the game for boarding uh, Dan Hamhuse earlier gets out of the penalty box from his major penalty and scores the winner in overtime but that would have given Nashville a three games to two lead coming home for game six but as it would turn out the next weekend, the as they call it here, the 100-year flood hit Nashville. There could have been no games played here. Certainly. Uh, my my last question for you. You've been in the league a long time, whether it's a color guy back in L.A., time with the Buffalo Sabres. Lots of great Wheat Kings have come through. I think I asked you this in the hotel when we first crossed yeah. paths. Ron Hextall, Brian Pop, Ray Allison, all sorts of great NHLers have come and gone. Do you have a, a favorite that you could think of off the top of your head? Obviously, Ron Hextall probably created a lot of conversation amongst broadcasters back in the day well, he was he without question is still my wife's favorite goaltender because she liked that he would mix things up quite a bit and when we were in buffalo and ron was playing for hershey whenever rochester was playing hershey we went over and then every now and then we got a real bonus because paul stewart would be refing the game and we would have a brouhaha or two <laughs> that night uh to be certain but my favorite was the first i ever met and he was with the kings for a good long time dan bonner dan bonner was a 
Week King coming to L.A. King's camp. We were in uh, Victoria, B.C., staying at the Empress Hotel, and uh, those were, were great times and some great memories. I got one more question for you here. Do you remember the first catfish and your reaction to what was happening? <laughs> I almost felt somewhat guilty because the people, we had those hockey one-on-one classes in the arena tower before games, and they kept asking me, what's the deal with the with the octopus on the ice in Detroit. So I went through it. I said, the, the Cusimano brothers, the fish market in Detroit, back in the day when you had to win two series to win the Stanley Cup, they thought it'd be great to have the octopus out there with the eight. And I was very careful to enunciate this. Tentacles. Tentacles, folks. <laughs> that would be on the ice and uh, representing the number of wins you needed to take home the Stanley Cup. So we... We quickly in that classroom situation here uh, decided there was nothing we knew of with 16 legs. Uh, so maybe something more indigenous to the area and catfish turned out to be the response. There was one funny night in Detroit. And well, there are many funny nights in Detroit, but there was one funny night in Detroit where this one Predators fans came up and he is wearing, and I'm going to say it was probably 10 degrees uh, Fahrenheit outside. He was wearing a yellow rain slicker and he had the catfish taped tightly to his body so he could get in. Well, it was one of those nights where the Red Wings could do no wrong. They were up like five or six to one in the third period. The guy had missed his opportunity from the first Predators goal to go down and throw the catfish on the ice. He wanted out of there. So he figured he would just openly, because he was on the penalty box side, walk down behind the penalty box, take the catfish and rip it away from the tape against his body and throw it over and then <laughs> turned around and gave himself up to be taken out of the rink. That was one of the better catfish stories of all time. <laughs> but the other the other one, after the tragedy in Columbus, where the young lady was uh, hit by the puck and, and passed away a couple of days later, and the netting went up. Well, that offseason, not all of our fans were aware of that. So the catfish comes in for a game against Detroit, and a guy comes down, throws the catfish up, doesn't realize the mesh netting is there, and it splats all over somebody when it caroms back down on the first row. So I felt kind of sorry for that, too. Oh, that that is awesome. And, Pete, we know we could go on forever uh, with you. Well, we're glad you took some time out of your, your day to squeeze us in. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously we want to wish you the best of luck whenever the season gets going. Going. We'll leave yeah. it on this thought. Do you think the NHL will continue? I think they're going to do everything that they can. I just don't know if the health authorities are going to feel comfortable giving the go-ahead. That I mean, we've already got that with reports this week, what, that Friday. Some NBA practice facilities are going to be opened up. And since it was the NBA who got us started on all of this, and it was an NBA player, Rudy Gobert was in the hotel room of Carolina's John Forslund and forced him into two weeks of isolation. Yeah. Thankfully, he didn't have to have any treatment for all of that. But uh, I guess NBA is going to lead the way to begin with, and then the NHL will follow with some adaptations. Well, Pete, we appreciate this. This was awesome. Yeah, Pete. Thank you very much, guys. And if you ever want to talk about catfish again, I'll be more than happy to do that or talk about I'm sorry I don't have my Jordan 2-2 whistle with me here right now, but I've got several autographed copies of his book. Okay. And now here we go. We're back live. How you doing? Chris Falco, Brandon Crow, And in the bottom of your screen, we have got the general manager of your Brandon Wee Kings, Darren Ritchie. Rich, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? We're, we are hanging in there. It's really good to see you, even if it's over a computer screen. You've got quite the quarantine beard going on. 
<laughs> yes, and I've actually trimmed up just for your show today, and uh, I did it earlier today, the Western Hockley interview with Zach Hodder. So uh, I haven't... Uh, I like growing a beard, and it's a good time to do it. That is a well, man's I, man right there. I got the whole Sidney Crosby <laughs> thing going, and I'm just giving up, but you've got it going. There you go. Yeah, but if Falco and I take our hats off, we've got a big old mop up top. Like, look at this. It's just flowing out the back. Where's yours? Can we make you jealous if we do that or no? Where's well, the top you, of your hair? Well, I could tell you I was actually was growing it out the other day. It was getting pretty long. I, I look like a chia pet, and unfortunately, <laughs> I, I had to shave it. So you got the mullet. You got the mullet going there. Yeah, I can't. I I can't stop it. Like I feel like my hair and my fingernails and everything is just. I feel like I'm just on a nothing but. I'm doing nothing but eating. So like my body is just like <laughs> grow. I'm gonna be like 400 pounds by the time the season rolls around. Hopefully not. So, Rich, really, really appreciate you uh, you, you're taking time to come and talk to us live here tonight. Uh, we want to talk about the WHL draft. Um, before we get into that, we were just talking off the air. I think people want to know, though, um, how is Nolan doing with your son, Nolan Ritchie? Uh, he's doing really well. He's uh, training hard still. Uh, looks like he's progressing really well with the, you know, with our trainer, Will. And I think Will's happy at the, where he's at at this time right now. When you look at the the draft, now you and I touched on it a little bit on draft day. It's a bit weird. You don't have the traditional sense where you can walk over to say John Paddock at the other table and say, what are you doing? We might want to make a deal. Instead, it's all technical and video and that sort of thing. Did you find it challenging or was this something that maybe you could see the league doing moving forward now because it'll save some money and some time? I, I thought it uh, I thought it ran real smooth. I, I was impressed with the whole thing. Uh, it was easy to contact other GMs. Uh, we had good contact. We were doing Zoom, exactly what we're doing here today with, with our scouts. So uh, anytime we were getting close to a pick, uh, we had some discussion. And it, it was just like sitting at a table. It really was. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And I think, uh, I think Doug uh, enjoyed it as well. So I think it's something that our league will seriously look at going forward. Was there any less kind of discussion you would say though because of that or were you guys still just I mean if you had any anything to talk about it would it would be something that that you would reach out you know kind of were you still kicking tires yeah like were you still like I know you you normally at those draft things you might even while you're grabbing a coffee next to somebody throw something out there was there less of that maybe yeah Uh, I I think building up there was uh, you know you touch base with mostly everybody in the league to see what uh, what they're thinking and then on draft day, we didn't have much communication with teams. We were pretty set on, you know, we only had uh, one pick in each round except for six and then two and seven and, and two and nine. So we were pretty set uh, on, on making our picks. Uh, you know, there's, you have internal discussions about moving up as the draft goes along because there's a guy sitting there, but uh, we never did uh, do anything to, to move up. We, we wanted to keep our picks because that would have probably, if we did try to move up, we would end up losing another pick, and uh, we were thin uh, with picks early on in the in the draft. Was there one thing you targeted going in? Like, did you have something written on the whiteboard you have to have by the time this is over, or were you happy with you know how it all played out? No, we we didn't have uh, anything drawn up. We we're hoping for we wanted the the best player and uh, at that four thirteen sorry and. Uh, we, you know, went by our list. Our guys worked real hard for two weeks on our list. And uh, I thought our guys were real good uh, building up uh, to the draft. And, uh, you, you know, you always have uh, things that you hope for or you, 
you know, you, you just got to, when you're sitting at 13, you, you got, you don't have much say, you got to wait and hope that a couple players uh, go ahead of you that uh, you had lower on your list. And uh, hopefully you get a guy that uh, kind of falls that you're open for. What you mean? It's unreasonable to expect that you could trade up and get the number one pick overall this year or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's not I that big of a deal. I mean, just make it happen. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think John was going to do that. <laughs> uh, Considering with, he's, yeah, he signed Bedard the day before. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much ended that hope. Uh, mm. So with, with our first pick in the first round, uh, tell us about Quinn, first defenseman that uh, the Weekings have taken in the first round since Braden Schneider. Not to put too much pressure on the kid, but again, with any first round pick, there's going to be at least a little bit of that. But kind of talk about, about Quinn's game, what the, what the organization sees in him. Well, he's a real smart player, a uh, real good skater, uh, can run a power play, uh, sees the ice very well. Always His first pass for me was always impressive. He, he found the right outlet. Uh, I always tell D-Man that your first pa- your first option is usually the right option, and uh, he, he made a good, makes good plays all the time he's on the ice. He's a really good skater, uh, gets back for pucks uh, real quick, and, and has a second gear. So uh, we're real excited to have Quinn uh, part of our organization. One of the comments I saw from a Weeking fan was, it's good to see the C on his sweater, uh, referring to his Weyburn uh, club team where he had this, the captain C on his sweater. Is there, at that level, is there much put on that as much as there would be in the Western Hockey League? Is he as much of a leader as, say, that, that piece of fabric would uh, suggest? Well, everything we did and, and talked with, with him and his family, he, he is a leader. Uh, he's very well-spoken understands uh, what he is and what he does best at. And, uh, you know, he, he would, uh, you know, he leads by example on the ice by the way he plays. Yeah, and, I, and I'm just saying from watching the boy play, uh, Quinn play, sorry, that he leads by example with the way, way he plays. And his team, Weyburn, they had a pretty decent team. And for him on the blue line to put up the points that he did on, on the blue line, it seemed like like he was a real good contributor at both ends of the ice. So great first uh, pick in the first round. You got to figure. Then though, in the second round, you you pick a, a forward who seems to light the lamp at will. When you look at his stat line, I know that stat lines are a little deceiving at this age and the different leagues, you know, kind of across and, and where the kids are playing. But to talk about Trey and, and what he brings because it seems like this is a real offensive player that you guys took in the second round. Yeah, he's uh, Trey's a real competitive guy that, uh, you know, he's in the middle of everything all the time. Uh, he's a guy that when you're watching the game, he just catches your eye because of his work ethic, his speed. Uh, he's got a real good shot, takes the puck uh, to the net uh, with, uh, you know, with a purpose. And uh, we just like, again, he's another guy that shows some leadership by the way he works on the ice all the time too. So uh, our guys were real high on uh, Trey all year and uh, we're real excited to, to add him. And obviously, uh, he has great numbers, good points, uh, no different than Quinn. But, uh, you know, we don't uh, look at that uh, for a deciding factor. We're, we're looking at the player trying to, uh, you know, see, project what he's going to be at 18 and 19. And, and we think uh, uh, these two players are going to be uh, real good Western League players. The best part about Trey, and I spent time as the voice of the Nip One Hawks, His dad is an absolute legend in <laughs> one 818 penalty minutes in just a 
167 games. Really? He spent more time in the penalty box in the, at the cage in Nippon than he did on the ice. Uh, and I, the second you guys drafted him, Rich, uh, Marlon Murray, the longtime GM and coach of the Dolphin Kings who played in Nippon, sent me a message and said, if this kid plays like his dad, everyone in Brandon will have a Trey Johnson jersey. I know the game's <laughs> changed a little bit, but did you talk to his dad at all? Uh, what does he think of this whole thing? And does he hope his kid stays out of the box a little more than he did? Well, I, uh, I did talk to Dion, uh, after the draft and, uh, you know, just like Trey, they're very excited, uh, to come here. They're very good friends actually with uh, Braden Schneider's family. So, yeah. uh, they, they know the, the weekings, uh, really well. So they are excited to come here and, uh, you know, uh, Trey is a very competitive guy. Uh, I don't think he's going to get 800 belly minutes like his dad, obviously. Uh, times have changed. He but, only had 82 uh, last year. His dad's got to be giving him grief. Like, those are, yeah, those are rookie yeah. numbers, son. You got to get those numbers yeah. up. He, 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 you know what? He actually plays a, a similar to Ben McCartney. Uh, kind of the same kind of game of uh, Ben does. Weaking uh, fans will love hearing that. So uh, I think, uh, you know, I think fans will like the way this uh, trade comes to the rink and plays hard every night. Well, we're not going to go through, I think, every single pick because, I mean, Perry Berkson did a great article. It's up on the website. People want to check it out. Uh, but, I mean, just overall, your thoughts on on how it went. I mean, going in, where your expectations were, and coming out of it, where they are now. Well, I, I never try not to have high expectations because you just don't you just don't know. Drafts are, they can go any way, right? So you always got to be prepared for anything. And, uh, I, I thought that's why your list has to be good because you got to have uh, a good list because there's going to th- be things that happen that you don't expect. So, uh, we're real happy with, uh, the players that we drafted that, uh, that day. And, uh, we're really looking forward to having everybody here in Brandon for camp. And, uh, unfortunately probably no prospect camp this year. So, uh, we'll have to wait until training camp to see the, to the, see the new players and, uh, I always find prospects exciting because you get just your guys and uh, they're there. And then uh, the new guys, like for the old fives, uh, they're excited. They just got big smiles on their face the whole weekend. So uh, that part's a little disappointing, but, uh, you know, we had real good conversations with each family after the draft and uh, they're all real excited. How much has changed in your time, uh, you know, in the hockey ops, whether it be as an assistant coach or director of scouting, like going back, say, four or five years, your knowledge of these guys and what you see and how much you see them and and the online scouting reports and things like that, is drafting now easier or does that information cloud things up and make it harder? What do you think? Well, I don't think scouting is easy. I think you got you got to get out there and do your work. I think, uh, you know, I've obviously – I've uh, done it uh, for our organization and, you know, you're on the road for 20 days of a month and uh, you're, you're watching hockey all over Western Canada. It's some cold barns. Yeah. There, there's some cold drinks. There's some cold drinks for sure, but there's some good you know, food me, too. There's some good food. I'm sure, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that. I, I go to watch the hockey. Oh, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Rhonda's listening. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Hamiota has real good burgers, uh, <laughs> but that's you got to put the work in and and that's the part with Doug with our organization Doug is out there he's watching and you got to watch uh draft eligible bantams you got to watch your listed players so you are on the road a lot and and Doug has done a great job this year of uh, running our draft uh, getting to know our listed players obviously being his first time with our organization uh, he comes in here and he knows our players really well now Uh, we do have a live question coming in for you Uh, Aaron wants to know how would you sum up your first year as GM? 
Well, I, I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't know. I would say uh, good. Uh, I really enjoyed our coaching staff. The thing for me, our team got better as the year went along. And I remember saying uh, to another GM in November, I like our team. I don't like our record. I think our team was better than our record. And then you just saw our team getting better and better. And, and our coaches deserve a lot of credit for that. They, uh, they did a really good job with our team. And then, you know, obviously in January, we would get a great run uh, with the 10 games uh, and puts us right into the fight for first place in, in our division. So uh, I, I thought our team was built for the playoffs and I was excited for the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think our team was uh, ready to play. I thought we were playing real, at a good level at that time. I think the way you describe that about liking your team but not liking your record is so perfect because I remember hearing it walking into the rink. Oh, this Dave Lowry, he was touted as supposed to be the next great coach, and look at us, we're, we're struggling, we're very average. What's going to happen? When's this going to turn? And then all of a sudden it did. And you go 24-4 and four, uh, up until the – I guess, postponement, cancellation of the season. Was there one moment or situation or game where you think that light switch went on for the group or was it kind of a progressive build to that point? Well, I think it was a couple things. I think uh, Dave played four lines early on. And when you play four lines, that gives you your, t- your team's going to be better in the second half. And you can see you know, Jake Chase on a perfect example of how good he became from Christmas yeah. on. And that, and that was because we played four lines. And uh, that's how you... Uh, become a better team. You, you got confidence. Our players have confidence. And uh, I also think uh, that w- when we went into, uh, I'm not going to remember the trip as good as you crow, but it was, uh, the I think we played it. Yes. We played yeah. in Edmonton. We didn't play very, we played poorly in Edmonton. Then went to Calgary, played well in Calgary one. And then actually, sorry, the Red Deer game as well. Uh, yeah. didn't, didn't win, but deserved a better fate in that game. Went to Calgary, one in Calgary, then went to Medicine Hat, one in Medicine Hat. Well, that's four real tough teams. And I, I think for me, that was when uh, the light bulb went on for our players. And, uh, and we just started to believe that we could beat anybody. Yeah. And I, I want to answer that as well, Aaron, because Rich said the word good was his first response. I want to say great to fantastic because Rich, as uh, not just work of the team, but I mean, speaking on behalf of like on the fan side, you made some of the hardest moves a GM could make in terms of moving some really well-rounded, loved individuals for the right hockey move, for the right on-ice product, to bring in the grit and determination, the guys like Schmeeman, like Pierce, um, like when, when, when Reed came in, all of these moves that you made, uh, Thiessen, they were all ones that set up what Dave was trying to start in the fall, that they all bought in at the right times, and end the year on that kind of a run, it, it was something that I know that a lot of fans feel even more gypped off because it seemed like everybody was just playing at the highest level at the right time. And that's why I think for the Weeking fans, it's even more disappointing. But anyway, I just want to throw that out there that personally, I think you did a fantastic job this year. And I think that it would have been a real interesting first round playoff matchup versus Winnipeg when you get some of those guys going multiple nights in a row. Yeah, it would, uh, it's it's disappointing for both organizations. I know both teams were looking forward to playing. It's two very good teams that uh, uh, obviously have a good rival, and uh, it's uh, unfortunate it didn't get to play out. But uh, you know, I'm sure there's going to be uh, enough times here down the road uh, that we will play enough in the playoff against each other. So uh, you know, we'll, both teams will be looking forward to that. Here's hoping. So, Rich, obviously, you've got 
um, you know, a long time now. It's only April 27th. This is very similar to last year where the team didn't make the playoffs. Of course, you've got, um, you know, the import draft, which is going to be a, a, another uh, opportunity with Yuri leaving uh, to, to add another body to the organization. But after that, realistically, your schedule's relatively wide open. And, and I'm certainly not suggesting by any means that you're just going to sit on a lawn chair and throw your feet up. But he kind of how does. do you how do you plan to kill the time between now and August? Because it's you know, you got to keep yourself sharp mentally and you, you can't just sit on the couch and watch TV. What, what sort of things do you have planned? I know you're a golfer, but even that's kind of off the table a little bit. Well, uh, I will work. I will uh, go in, you know, probably a couple hours a day. And just, you know, there's always stuff to do. Uh, it's, you know, talking to billets, talking to, you know, players, uh, you know, depending on how the draft goes, maybe you're trying to get a player on your team at a tryout. So, uh, you know, there's always something to do and, 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 and you're right. You need to have a bit of a downtime and I, and I will, uh, take a couple uh, weeks for sure and go, uh, to Clear Lake and, uh, hang out there and just keep quiet. But really, uh, as you guys know, you got your computer, you got your phone nowadays, yeah. you're, you're, you're working all the time. So, uh, you know, even when you're at the lake, you get a phone call or something, you're on your computer looking, uh, it never slows down. Uh, really it's, you know, it's great. I enjoy uh, working in the hockey and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, we've talked about how we've really wanted to get you back on the pod again, just so we could talk about some more stories from back in the playing days. You know, enough about kind of all, all, all this kind of official business. We want to hear some of the fun stories, too. And now the fact that we can do this and connect, maybe we hook up with some of your former line mates and maybe we can convince you to come back on a future <laughs> podcast. Maybe. I'm not going to put you on the spot right now, but I was going to tell you that, that, that that's kind of what I'm going to be shooting for in the next little bit. So hopefully we can have you back on, Rich, but really appreciate you coming on tonight and, and uh, just giving us a recap here. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it and uh, always enjoy coming on. Well, Rich, we gotta, I got to ask you before you go, though, uh, our, <laughs> guest, our guest next week, we're going to drop it now. We have oh. one confirmed guest, one of the all-time greatest weekings ever in the history of the organization, Ryan Prop is going to join us next week. Now, based on the history, of course, Ray Allison, Bill Lego, that line that they had, uh, as a young guy, did you ever get a chance to speak to him? Did he ever come back to the organization or talk to anybody or come to any camps or anything like that? Did you ever have any run-ins with, with Brian prop by any means? No, I haven't. And I'm, I'm trying to think there, there was one time where he was back, uh, in Brandon and maybe it was the Memorial, Memorial Cup, Cup maybe, yeah. maybe, uh, but I know he was around. I never did get to, to meet him. Uh, but obviously I know who he is and uh, what he's done. I know, uh, my wife's, uh, grandmother uh she loved brian prop and uh, she had a picture of him in her in her cabin uh, of him <laughs> in the wind. so uh, i know how much he was beloved in, in, in brandon well we're looking forward to that rich and uh, like falco said thanks for doing this try and stay busy and uh well uh well we can't wait to see what your uh, mountain man beard looks like in august <laughs> thanks crow take care <laughs> uh, we'll try and get rid of rich there we go all right well, that'll do it. That uh, awesome. for, for, there you go. Episode awesome. 16 in the books. Uh, again, tip of the cap to uh, Pete Weber, the longtime voice of the Nashville Predators. Uh, he actually was ready to go last week uh, at 3 o'clock on Monday. I, I wasn't overly clear in my email, and he was sitting in his home office waiting for us to call him. But 
I was outside. Oh, no. getting, I was outside in the shed playing with some tools, and you were hanging out with the boys. So I feel bad for uh, for that mix up. But he was so gracious to join us, and then Rich, of course, he's got lots on his plate too. So that was fun. And you and I are starting to get the hang of this little bit. We're like, yeah, a we're like bit. the nineteen twenty Weekings. We started a little rocky. Of course, we had Yuri's poor connection from the Czech Republic and LT slipping a little f bomb into the conversation, and here we go. We're full steam ahead now. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> on this side of things, so from the broadcasting to the watching the YouTube channel to the chats to the people comment, it, it's it's been a whole lot of fun. So I'm liking this aspect of the whole live podcast again. But if you're not listening to this live, appreciate it. But every Monday night from here on out, about uh, eight o'clock, you can check it out on the Q YouTube page. If you want to get a hold of us, though, make sure that uh, you you drop a line at any time. I've even got a fancy little graphic here that that we're gonna use. Boom. QWeeklyHarvest at gmail.com. So it's QWeeklyHarvest at gmail.com. You can uh, drop us an email if you want uh, at any time, or you can again join us live on Monday nights. But uh, really appreciate uh, you tuning on in and checking this out. You bet. And, of course, next Monday, Brian Prop, oh. uh, one of the greatest Week Kings of all time. So we're, uh, you dropped that before I, even I was ready for it, like my facial expression. I was like, oh, <laughs> we're going to talk about this now? Because well, I'm really, really finger. hopeful that, that we can get the full line. Because yes. that would be that would be We're amazing. We're trying to reach out to uh, to both Ray Allison and Builder Lego as well, and if we can reunite the uh, the trio, uh, boy, would that be something? But uh, either way, we are confirmed with at least one of the uh, of the three on that line. In uh, in Brian, he was excited. He's a busy guy, though. He emailed us back today and said he's got a different podcast that day at one o'clock, so we had to fit it in. So uh, certainly. Uh, he's still uh, part of the, doing a lot of alumni stuff with the Flyers and that sort of thing. And, of course, uh, he had the uh, health scare a while back and uh, recovering well from that. So looking forward to next week and uh, can't wait to, to, to see what he has to say. And speaking, by the way, of the email, once again, uh, we did get one email and it was uh, Eric. And this is actually going to go hand in hand with this. He said that he would love to hear a guest from way back. He didn't say how far way back. He's like, I'd like to hear something from, from, from way back. Well, there we go. This is pretty way back so so hopefully this will uh this will this will make the grade for that and it'll be a good show next monday so again thanks for tuning on in anything else to add there crow no this was awesome uh thanks to to everybody who sent messages i know dan block out in red deer who's kind of the honorary uh weeking equipment manager uh he said uh, great show tonight fellas aaron bowl longtime uh, weeking fan he's commenting live on the youtube and everyone else uh, that tuned in tonight uh, thanks spread the word and uh, we'll talk to you next monday we'll talk to you later have a good week be sure to follow Q Country and the Wheat Kings on Twitter and Facebook for all your Brandon Wheat Kings news. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Harvest.